Section four of Henry the Second by Louis Francis Saltzman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three: The Welsh Wars, Part two. However, Henry of Essex may have behaved, it is clear that the Normans had suffered a severe defeat, and Henry, in a furious rage, drew off his troops and rejoined the main body of his army with which he had advanced unopposed to Rudlan, Owine having withdrawn from Basingwork to Conway. Meanwhile the fleet, which was acting in unison with the land forces, had been dispatched to Anglesey to ravage that fertile island, the granary of North Wales. But here bad discipline was the cause of a severe check. The attractions of looting churches and monasteries proved too great for the royal forces, and delivered them into the hands of the ever-vigilant natives. The sailors lost their commander, William Trenchamer, and most of their officers, whilst amongst the men of note who fell was Henry, the king's half-uncle, son of Henry I, by the famous Welsh princess Nest. In spite of these two initial successes, Owain felt himself in a position of danger, and preferring to make terms rather than to have them forced upon him, made peace and gave hostages to henry cadwallader was restored to his possessions and homage was done by owine to the english king and the english frontier was once more pushed as far forward as rudlen where as also at basingwork henry restored the castle the campaign therefore might be regarded as fairly successful although the only two engagements recorded had been disastrous Although Owain Gwyneth and the other princes had come to terms with King Henry, the redoubtable Rhys, son of Griffith of South Wales, proposed to continue the war. Finding, however, that he would receive no support from any other native princes, he was persuaded to make peace with the king, who in return promised to grant him a complete cantriff of land. The spirit of the agreement was broken by the grant of the land in scattered portions, instead of in a continuous block but rees accepted the gift and remained quiet until he found that the king would not do him justice against walter clifford when he took law into his own hands and made a series of successful attacks upon the strongholds of the norman barons in cardigan about the same time in eleven fifty eight ivor the little a noble of glamorgan being deprived of his lands by earl william of gloucester made a daring night attack upon the castle of Cardiff, and in spite of its strength and the imposing numbers of its garrison, said to have numbered one hundred and twenty men-at-arms, besides archers and others, carried off the earl with his countess and son, who were only released after more than full restitution had been made to Ivor. Meanwhile Rhys, encouraged by his successes in Cardigan, attacked Camarthen, and Henry, who was preparing for a great expedition into the south of France, was obliged to send a force under the earls of Cornwall, Gloucester, and Clare to relieve the castle. This they did, and they were also successful in bringing Rhys to accept terms of peace. Peace so far as it ever existed on the Welsh borders continued for a short time, but when Henry returned to England in 1163, he found the country in so disturbed a state that he was obliged to lead an army against Rhys. The latter offered little or no active opposition, 
and the expedition took the form of a military progress through Glamorgan and Gower, towards Camarthen and as far as Pencader, returning by the mountains of Plinlimmon to Radnor. It is said that during this progress the invading host came to a stream called Nantpencarn, where the natives anxiously waited to see whether Henry would fulfil in his own person a traditional prophecy that the crossing of the ancient ford by a brave man with a freckled face should foreshadow the defeat of the welsh when they saw the king ride past the old ford and set his horse to cross by one newer and better known the welsh set up such a blare of horns and trumpets that his horse took fright and the king turning round made for the older ford and dashed across this time without any orchestral welcome as a result of this campaign rees with owain of north wales and other princes attended henry's court at woodstock and did homage to him there in july of eleven sixty three the king apparently meditating the confiscation of his estates or possibly the extortion of a ransom sent a knight to visit denevor the capital of south wales and to report upon the nature of the country the priest however who acted as a guide while professing to go by the best route took the unsuspecting knight by all the worst and most impassable tracks and so contrived to impress him with the utter poverty of the land and the inhabitants that the king on the strength of his report abandoned his first attention and released rees only taking from him hostages for his good behaviour hardly had rees returned than he renewed the struggle recapturing the whole district of cardigan invading pembrokeshire and despoiling the norman and flemish settlers his example was speedily followed by owain gwyneth and his sons who ravaged the district round rudlan in october eleven sixty four henry had issued orders for a force to be raised against rees and on his return to england in the following may he found this force ready and with it pushed hastily forward to rudlan having relieved pressure in this district for the time being he returned to england to collect a larger army furiously vowing to destroy the whole nation of welsh the border fortresses were set in order from abergavenny grossmont clontillis and skenfrith in the south to montgomery shrawardine and chirk in the north foreign mercenaries were brought over and provided with arms Arnold, the armourer providing three hundred bucklers for their use lances and arrows were bought in oxford and elsewhere and dispatched to the frontier and above all large sums of money were extorted from the cities prelates and nobles for the conduct of the war operations on a small scale seemed to have been carried on from abergavenny but the king with the main part of his imposing army advanced from shrewsbury to oswestry and so into powys for once the welsh were united rees of south wales owain gwyneth and cadwallader his brother the former ally of the english the two sons of madog of powys lesser princes such as owain cofiliog and yorwith the red all with their whole following were assembled to oppose the invader henry advanced down the valley of the Caliog, and mindful of former disaster endeavoured to protect his flanks by cutting down the woods indecisive skirmishing took place resulting in heavy losses to both sides 
but the Welsh avoided a pitched battle, and retired before the royal forces until the latter had penetrated as far as the mountains of Berwyn in Merinethshire. Here they encamped, ravaging the country round and plundering the churches to the intense anger of the Welsh, who always scrupulously observe the sanctity of churches. Punishment speedily overtook the impious host. Tremendous storms of rain, exceptionally vehement even for Wales, coupled with a shortage of provisions, drove the English back in a disorderly and disastrous retreat to Chester, where Henry waited for the arrival of a fleet from Ireland. When the ships came, they proved to be insufficient for the conduct of further operations against the Welsh. The king, furious at his ill success, took a mean revenge by barbarously mutilating the sons of Rhys and Owain and a score of other hostages in his power. Hardly had the English army retired from Wales when Rhys stormed the castle of Cardigan and captured its lord, Robert Fitzstephen. Next year, in 1165, the Normans and Flemings of Pembroke made two unsuccessful attempts to retake Cardigan, while in the north Owain Gwyneth destroyed Basingwork. Internal dissensions led to the ejection from their lands of Jorweth the Red and Owain Cuffiliog, and the latter, in 1166, assisted the Normans to gain a small success in the capture of the castle of Coranian, but this was more than counterbalanced by the action of Rhys and Owain Gwyneth, who, after a three-month siege, captured the castles of Rodlan and Prestatyn. The development of Irish affairs now made friendly relations with Wales important, the main route to Ireland being by way of South Wales and the ports of Pembrokeshire. Accordingly, we find Henry becoming reconciled to Rhys in 1171, and from henceforth treating him with an honourable courtesy, which the Welsh prince reciprocated. Peace, therefore, varied with occasional border skirmishes, continued between England and Wales until the end of Henry's reign, and the Welsh, deprived of the pleasure of molesting the foreigner, turned with the greater zest to the task of cutting one another's throats. The invariable failure of Henry's military policy in Wales was due to his persistent disregard of the local lords of the marches, and reliance upon men famous in continental warfare, but totally ignorant of the very different conditions prevailing in the mountains and forests of Wales. Such a man as Gerald de Berry could have given the king far more useful advice in the conduct of a Welsh campaign than any of his great Norman barons. That acute historian afterwards set out at length the measures necessary for the conquest of his native country. No expedition should be undertaken hastily, but careful preparations should be made, allies secured, and internal divisions carefully fostered. Castles should be built along the frontier, trade with England, especially in provisions, stopped, and the coasts blockaded. This would, as a rule, be sufficient to bring them to terms, but if military operations were needful, then an advance should be made in the early spring, before the leaves came into leaf. The troops should be light-armed, and preferably men of the border, used to the country, rather than Flemish or Brabantines, good as the latter were on their own ground. The operations should be conducted by counsel of the Lord's marchers, 
and heavy losses must be expected and borne with equanimity for while mercenaries are easily replaced the welsh could not replace their men once subdued the natives should be treated with justice and kindness so long as they remain quiet but their rulers should be ever watchful and should punish rebellion with severity to diminish the chance of revolt the intervals of peace ought to be used for the building of roads and of castles and at the same time the english border towns along the severn might well have special privileges granted them to facilitate their growth and in return they should be bound to maintain a fitting provision of arms and horses and to practice universal military training yet for all this the nation shall not perish utterly and at the last day of judgment this little spot of land shall be answered for by the welsh race still speaking in their ancient tongue end of section four